we've been talking about <clears throat> toxic relationships. And I was going to ask for a show of hands. How many have been, are in a toxic? No, I'm not going to do that. Or, but, but I know you know what that means because we've all experienced uh, problems in a relationship where, you know, everybody's got problems. Every, every relationship has issues, and we talked all about that. And, and so <clears throat> I think it's something that we can all relate to. Tying in last week to this week, just kind of a little bit of review. The bottom line is that God loves all of us. And because we love like him, that means we love others. It starts right there. It's not about trying harder. It's not about that. The, the idea is that if God has changed your heart, then your actions follow and your actions are changed. And then also, if your behavior doesn't line up, then what we're not, we're not saying to try harder. What we're saying is try more Jesus. Because it's not about you trying harder. Because if you're trying harder, that, then you're not doing it right. That's not it. We're not trying to force behavior. God doesn't force us to do anything. The bottom line with all of this is you choose. That's the very idea that he made us as free people to choose him or not. And the same is true with our relationships. We can choose to do it like Jesus or we can choose to do it like we normally do it. And if you're old like me, you realize it doesn't always work out well when you do it my way. Works better when I do it his way. I choose to follow him and follow his way, and it works that way. Unfortunately, we live in a world where God has given everybody free will, and you see the consequences of that because they also people also have the choices, the free will to make choices that aren't great. And that's where you see toxic relationships, broken relationships, selfishness. But if you choose to let him change your heart and you die to yourself, then you start to see a whole new world. It looks like this. It starts with your heart, and that's love. And then it goes to your head, your inner thoughts, and then ultimately your actions change. But it starts at the heart. So many times we try this, this way where we say, no, you change your, uh, your behavior. And the truth is the true change in behavior starts in the heart. It's just, that's just really the way it works. Trust me, I know this sounds weird. Because I know some people are like, I'm not sure I want to do that. I don't want to, I think, I think my way is better. And what's, what's interesting is your way is better, at least a little bit, but it's not best. And you won't know the best unless you give up your way just a little. But you have to trust God for that to happen. So today, I want to jump into this and this passage of scripture. I know we've read it before. You've read it before. It's one of those scriptures where as you read it, it, it kind of reads you a little bit. And then as part of it, as you read it, you, you look around and you see a fallen world and you say, well, that's what it's talking about. And if you look a little closer, you can look at other relationships and say, well, I know who should read this. It's one of those scriptures. So let's do it together. James 4. James says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? <laughs> You've never seen that happen, right? No quarrels or fights. Uh, don't they come, he asks this rhetorical question, don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? Yes? Anybody say yes, that's true? No one wants to say yes, that's true, because if that's true, it means it starts with me and it's partly my fault. And I don't want to admit to that. Every problem I have is someone else's fault, right? It's always them. Have you ever been in an argument with somebody and they say, oh, you think you're always right? Well, duh, that's how arguments are happening because I think I'm right, you think you're right, we think we're right. If we didn't think we were right, we wouldn't be disagreeing, right? Right? <laughs> so he says, don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? Now understand, Paul is writing to the church. He's not writing this just to the world at large. 
He's not writing this to, you know, nations. He's writing this to people who love God, who are in a church. He's writing this to Christians in the first century. And when he writes this, I think it's important for all of us to recognize that and to at least open our hearts and minds to the idea that this is meant for us, for you. Look at the second verse. You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. Now, right there, I know a part of us are thinking, wait a minute, now this can't mean the church people. And he might be exaggerating a little bit with the kill word here. I get that. But the scheming part, the, the jealous part, you are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Now, of course, that could apply to nations, but Paul's writing, I mean, James is writing to the church. So you still have to keep it inside here and say, how does this apply to me? Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get what you want because your motives are all wrong. And you want only what will give you pleasure. I don't know about you. I, I read that and I just my, my response is, ouch, I don't want to look like myself that way. So is he really saying that I'm toxic? I'm the result of this? I'm the problem? It's my fault, my selfishness, my evil desires? My not asking God and going about things in the way he says to go about it. It's me conniving and contriving and trying to get things a different way. Remember we said last week, if everybody actually served one another, then everybody's needs would be met. Now, James, what he's talking about is the fact that we find ways to get what we want, but we don't do it the right way. We don't go to God first. We don't ask him. We don't submit ourselves to other people. So how in the world, how can we do this? How can we get to the answer here? I know this might sound like a therapy session, but it starts right here. You've got to admit you have a problem. Not, not your neighbor, not your husband, not your wife, not this person you know, not somebody at work, not your kids. You, you have a problem. So much of the Bible, it, it really comes down to this. So much of the message that God tells us is dealing with us. But we don't want to look inside. We don't want to see it inside. And, 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 and listen, if... If maybe you've had some issues and maybe there's um, maybe issues at work or with family members or friends or church or maybe there's a series of toxic relationships, it's hard to admit, but maybe it's you. Maybe, maybe it's not always them or somebody else. I've been reading this really insightful book by Dr. Les Perot. It's called Love Like That, and he's talking like this. So the first issue is this. You really do have to admit you have a problem. The second issue is... You need to love like Jesus loved. Now, we get this beautiful picture of, of Jesus in the scriptures. And if you read the book of Colossians and Hebrews, it says that Jesus is the exact representation of God. In other words, if you want to see what God is like, look at Jesus. In the Greek, it literally says he is the essence of the character of God. So when we look at how Jesus interacted with people, that's how we're supposed to interact we look at the depth of love, now last week we talked about all these different kinds of loves and the kinds of loves most of us are comfortable with are the loves that we, we, we are comfortable with because we get and give it back and we give it conditionally if somebody acts the right way or does the right things or says the right things or has the right attitude, then we love them. And that's a kind of love. But the kind of love that the Bible consistently talks about, the kind of love that Jesus talks about is a love that is it really does come from God. It's an agape style of love that is unconditional and gives whether we get. <laughs> I don't know how many of you have had this experience, but 
Maybe, maybe you had a birthday party and you're planning and you're thinking, well, they never invited me to their party. I'm not inviting them to mine. That's not the kind of love we're talking about. We're talking about love because you love, because it's the right thing to do regardless of what they did. It's the kind of love that goes above and beyond because you love them and you care about them like Jesus loved. It's a different kind of love. And Jesus is supposed to be our guide. He's the one we point to. He's a perfect combination of love and grace. He's a perfect kind of uh, combination of love and law. Think about this for a minute. Jesus comes to the planet, the Son of God himself, God incarnate, living here. And who was attracted to him? People in sin. People with mistakes. It's not like they looked at him and thought, oh, I can never get close to him. They were drawn to him. How can that be? It's because he was the perfect blend of love and grace and goodness and law. He was all those things in the perfect right blend. For us, a lot of times, <clears throat> we seem to err on one side or the other. We're, we're too much law where we're judgmental and harsh and nobody feels accepted. Or we're too much grace and, and anything goes. And Jesus wasn't like that. He was right there in the sweet spot, the place where it should all be. Here's some things I just want us to take a look at the life of Jesus and try to love like Jesus loved. We're going to finish this actually next week with some of the things that Jesus said and did. But today I want us to do something. I'm going to use really poor English here, but I'm going to say this. First thing, be a noticer. And I know as you look at that, you're thinking, I'm not sure what that means, and I'll explain it. I'll just tell you what it means. I want us to take a look at the life of Jesus, and I want us to notice some things. And it starts with this. I'll give you a little tip ahead of time. It starts with the fact that he loved. And because he loved, he noticed things that other people didn't notice. Because he cared and he had a heart for people, he saw things no one else saw. It's easy to miss things. There's this great quote by, by this Robertson Davies. The eye sees only what the mind is prepared to comprehend. You might even say the eye sees only what the heart is prepared to comprehend. It's easy to overlook the obvious. I'm going to show a movie clip right here. And maybe you've seen this before because this was actually a, an experiment done by Dan Simons and Christopher Chabri back in 1999. It's been repeated a million times. And if you've seen it before, that's okay. <clears throat> but I want you to follow along and I want you to, as best you can, notice things. <clears throat> the monkey business illusion. Count how many times the players wearing white passed the ball. Are you guys counting? The correct answer is 16 passes. How many got it correct? Well, okay. Did you yes. spot the gorilla? How many saw the gorilla? How many For did people not? people who haven't seen or heard about a video like this before, about half missed the gorilla. If you knew about the gorilla, you probably saw it. But did you notice the curtain changing color or the player on the black team leaving the game? Did you notice that? Let's, Let's rewind and watch <laughs> it again. That was loud. Here comes the gorilla, and there goes a player, and the curtain is changing from red to gold. Isn't that weird? How many missed the gorilla? I'm just curious, because you've never seen it before. Did anybody see the player disappear? <laughs> 
few of you. That's good. Isn't it weird, though, how we just, we miss things? It's as if we're looking for something, but we, we miss what's right in front of us. Because we're focused on something else, you were told to watch and count the passes. So you were doing that, and that's not a bad thing because you were doing what you are supposed to do. But in the process, you miss something that's right in front of you. It's because we're not looking for those things. We're focused on something that's different. What's interesting about this is not the first study that's been done. When they did this, they were actually the second in this, this type of study. There was another, another study done the year before where researchers, what they did is they had somebody ask a stranger for directions. And then as they're getting the directions from them, somebody walks between them with a door, like it's a big door. And as they do it, they switch out, and it's a totally different person now getting the directions. I was going to show you some of those video clips, but I didn't want to just bore you with clip after clip after clip. And it's hilarious because people don't notice. They were just talking with them. In fact, they're this close showing them directions and that they don't see that they change. And in a lot of the experiments, they use people who look similar, like just just to give you, if you're feeling bad, you didn't catch that person drifting off the screen. Those two girls look like twins practically. So the, one of the ones that drifted off is, looked very similar to one who stayed on. And, but then they did the study with totally different looking people. And in one case, they had a guy that was bald. I appreciated that. And uh, the people didn't even notice. How does that happen? You just miss it. Because you're not looking for it. You're not looking. Your focus is on, the, on something t- completely different. In another study, they had these... Um, of course, it had to be seminary students because, you know, every seminary student loves Jesus, right? So they got these seminary students and they asked them to go on this college campus and do a lecture on the Good Samaritan story. And then they said in 75% of the cases, here's what they did. As the person's heading to the location where they're going to give the lecture, they planted somebody in the way that had an obvious need. Either they dropped all their books and everything went flying or they were begging, or they, they, they needed help with something, either in a wheelchair or something like that, 75% of those speakers avoided and walked right around them. How can that happen? When asked later, they said, didn't you see them? And they said, no. What are you talking about? They didn't actually see them. So they showed them a video. When you walked around them, you looked right at them. They're like, I, I don't even know what happened there. All I was thinking about is getting to my lecture. What a story does that remind you of? Good Samaritan story. <laughs> That's the irony of it all. That's what they were talking about. And they literally replayed the story. They became in the story the priest and the Levite who walked around the Good Samaritan and didn't help. And we often look at them and we, we judge them for that. And what we miss is they were seeing something that Jesus, they didn't see something Jesus saw. <laughs> What did they see in the Good Samaritan? Or pardon me, the the person who was beaten on the road. What what the Levite and the priest saw was probably somebody who was dirty and, and bloody and unclean and somebody they probably couldn't help. But what did Jesus point out? What was he noticing there? He was noticing somebody there who was in desperate need, somebody who needed him in a way that was far beyond what they saw. It reminds me of a ton of stories. And if we're gonna love like Jesus loved, then we need to notice what he noticed. Remember that story as a kid we learned about Zacchaeus? Remember the story? Zacchaeus, remember the song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he, right? And he wanted to see Jesus, so what did he do? Climbed up into a a sycamore tree. And as Jesus was passing by, what does Jesus, Jesus do? He stops, he looks up, and he looks right at Zacchaeus, and he says, come out of that tree because I'm going to your house 
for dinner today. And what do the people say? How could he do that? Because Zacchaeus was a tax collector. The Roman government, they, would, they were so clever this way. They wanted to collect taxes from the Jews and from everybody that they, they conquered. So what they would do is find somebody who was a local who was willing to turn on his neighbors and his kinfolk. Because who better than another Jew? Because he would know where everybody lived. He knew what, you know, probably the approximate value of their, their estates and their houses. And so he would collect taxes. So he was despised in their culture. So when people saw Jesus point out Zacchaeus, they were looking at him in disgust because they knew who he was. They knew what he had done. They knew his reputation. They knew that, that he was not one of them. But Jesus noticed something different. What did Jesus notice? Jesus noticed somebody who was, who was at the point that he was going to repent and turn from all of that. Jesus looked beyond all that and noticed something that they couldn't even notice. How about that man that was lowered down in the roof? Do you remember that story where Jesus started teaching in a house? And as he was teaching in the house, it was so crowded that these friends, they had a friend who was paralyzed and they wanted to get him to Jesus, but they couldn't get him directly there. So they go on the roof and tear open the roof and lower him down. And what did Jesus do? He noticed something different. What did everybody else notice? The most obvious thing, right? He's paralyzed and he's laying on a mat and he can't move. That's what we notice. We see the outside. We see their obvious physical need. What did Jesus see? He saw that there was a man there who needed redemption. So what Jesus does is forgive his sins. And everybody in the crowd, they look at it, especially the religious rulers, they're so self-righteous. And they look at it and they say, who does this man think he is that he can forgive sins? And so Jesus stops them right there. In a moment, showing his deity, and he says, oh, you don't think I can forgive his sins? Will you think that I can forgive his sins if I heal him? And he heals him. What Jesus noticed is his bigger need. Of course he needed healed. Of course he needed to walk. And of course all that's true. But Jesus looked through it, and he noticed something that that wasn't obvious on the surface. And for most of us, all we see is the outside, and we see the past, and we see what people have done, and we don't notice their deep spiritual need. There's another story like that. This woman who anoints, anoints Jesus' feet. It's found in Luke chapter 7. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. And just so you understand, maybe you're not familiar with that term Pharisee. In the Jewish culture of the day, there were two main religious groups, Pharisees and Sadducees. The Sadducees were mainly political. They had some different beliefs. But the Pharisees were actually pretty spiritual guys. I mean, they... But what was sad is a lot of times it became very hypocritical. So now they're synonymous with hypocrites. And they were very judgmental about what Jesus was doing. But they studied the law. They knew it really well. And so in this case, it's kind of curious. We wonder why this Pharisee asked Jesus to his house. Because through the story, you realize it's not as if he's super repentant. So maybe he was there thinking he could trap Jesus. Or maybe he was just showing off. Or maybe since Jesus had all these crowds, it would elevate him. Who knows? But it says the Pharisee asked Jesus to dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. And in their culture, they would recline to eat around tables, off couches. And when a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Now, at that point, you're probably thinking, how did she even get in the house? Well, again... In their culture, and if somebody was a Pharisee, it was usually a pretty lucrative position. And it's more than likely that their house would have been open in a lot of ways. 
So plus in a Mediterranean climate, they would have had the airflow. So it wasn't as if she broke in or snuck in. It would have been kind of open to the public. And that lends us to think that maybe, maybe this Pharisee, his name is Simon, maybe he was actually trying to do something political and, and, and open and public anyway. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. It's hard to imagine this setting. You know, maybe, maybe that painting of, of the Last Supper that Leonardo da Vinci did might help. But, you know, they're kind of leaning in, eating his feet or behind him. So she starts weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Seems awkward, doesn't it? Doesn't it seem like it would make you super uncomfortable? And then when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. And I know we read that and we just kind of gloss over it and go on. But really quickly, when he says that, it's, it's, what he's trying to say is, if Jesus is a, is a leader, a rabbi, a teacher of people, this woman touching him would keep him from being ceremonially clean. He couldn't go to the temple just because she touched him. That's how their culture was. So what he was thinking is, if this guy's really a man of God, he wouldn't let her touch him because that would keep him from going into the presence of God. But what he didn't realize is the presence of God was there. And the presence of God noticed something in this woman that he couldn't see. All he noticed is that she was a sinner and he knew her past and the whole city knew her past. This whole city had trapped her in her past. And Jesus noticed something better and different in her that they couldn't even see. The story just breaks my heart. Jesus knew his thoughts. Another sign of his deity. He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon says, go ahead, teacher. Tell me what you have to say. Then Jesus tells him this story about a man who had loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 to the other. That would have been about a week's wages. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their deaths. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, well, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. You have to wonder if Simon knew the trap he was walking into here because clearly Jesus was setting it up because the truth is Simon owed just as much of a debt as this woman. He just couldn't see it that way. In Simon's view, he was better than her. So if anything, he thought he was the one who owed less. But when Jesus asked him, who do you think loved her more? Simon couldn't help but reply and say, probably the one who canceled the, the greater debt. And Jesus answered, he says, yeah, that's right. Then he turns to the woman and said to Simon, I love how, how the scriptures, the, when, when the gospel writers write, they just give us all these details that it, on, on the surface glance, you might think they're incidental. But that's what tells us how true they are, because all they're doing is reporting what had been said. And if you miss it here, you miss some of the, the poignancy of what Jesus did and how he did it. You've probably done the same thing. You know, you look at one person, but you're really talking to this person. And you want them to hear it, and there's drama involved in the way you do it. That's what Jesus did. He looks at the woman, and it probably wasn't easy to do. He might have had to sit up, and I mean, it was a weird situation in the first place. And he looks at her, but he's still talking to Simon. And he says to, he says to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. That would have been an insult in their culture. Think about it. 
They walked with open sandals all day on dirt roads. It was common courtesy when you walked into a house, especially someone wealthy like this, that they would have had a servant to wash their feet. Can you imagine how that would feel, how good it would feel and refreshing? It was a common courtesy, and he didn't do it. That's why we think that this was, an, that was a setup from the beginning from Simon. You didn't wash her, offer water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. How humiliating. You didn't greet me with a kiss again, and their culture would have been common courtesy, and he didn't do that. But from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, they are many. Don't don't miss here. Jesus doesn't condone her sin. It's not the kind of grace that you hear about sometimes today where nothing is wrong. No, he called wrong, wrong, and sin, sin. Her sins are many and have been forgiven So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Of course, the men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith is saved. You go in peace. What did Jesus notice? That the professional righteous man didn't notice? (laughs) All he noticed, that professional righteous man signed. All he noticed was her sin. All he noticed was her past. All he noticed was the fact that she was who she was. And he had determined that that's who she would always be. That she was locked into that. That that was now her character. But Jesus saw past all of that. Let me just ask you this question. Is there anybody that has passed Jesus and his love? Anybody passes redemption. Here's what's sad is Simon couldn't extend to her the grace that he needed just as much as she. And he didn't notice it. He figured he was better than her. And in Jesus' story, he was the one who owed just a little bit because he'd only done a little bit of things wrong. But the truth is he needed that grace as well. And he couldn't extend that to her. He couldn't see past his own need, let alone hers. He couldn't even recognize the fact that he noticed and needed that. But Jesus noticed her need. Her need for redemption and her need for salvation and the fact that she was worthy of all of that. The Gospels mention Jesus noticing something. They use that term over 40 times. And every single time Jesus is moved with compassion. I hate to admit this, but there's a lot of times when I notice things and it's not compassion that I feel. It's maybe a little bit of thankfulness that I'm not in their life situation. Maybe it's a little self-righteousness or disgust or contempt or revulsion or judgment. But Jesus' agenda, his entire agenda is different than ours. He came here for that, for those people. So many times in our lives, we walk around trying to avoid all of that and not be bothered by that. But people were his agenda. That's why he came. His agenda was redemption and love And changing lives forever. And because of that, people never bothered him. People didn't get in his way. All these times where, you know, his disciples are trying to keep the children away. And he says, no, let them come. All these times where they bring somebody like this lady who comes to him full of sin. And he doesn't bother him at all. None of that's an interruption. That's why he came. It's an interesting thing. I heard this years ago. And it's always, always amazed me. Try to think of of one of Jesus' miracles 
that were not an interruption. I can come up with three. Think about all the stories in the Bible that you read and all the things that you talk about that Jesus did. Every one of them almost were an interruption. And what if Jesus said, no, I can't be bothered with all that. But that's the point. He came for those things. Really, with the exception of raising Lazarus from the dead, he kind of planned that one. The pool of Bethesda, when he went and healed that guy, it seems like that's the one thing he planned to do. Think about the walking on the water. All the others. <laughs> that's why he came. It's for people. What does it take to be a noticer? You've got to love like Jesus loved. You've got to lay down your agenda for his. You've got to care about people the way he cares about them. And you've got to see past their past or their present <laughs> and see their need. It's different. It's a different way of looking at the life. So whose agenda do you take? Ours or his? I mean, a lot of times our agenda is to be right or to be seen as right or smart or, or self-righteous or or feel superior, but, but his agenda is totally different. It was other people's needs and what was best for them and what matters to them. And I know there's times in our lives, we're busy, we're busy, we're busy. But what's more important than them? Jesus saw him as important. <laughs> Out of that book that I just mentioned, Les Perot says this. I love this quote. I wanted to put the whole thing up on the screen for you. The person who is unwilling to set aside their own agenda is like a person who is wearing mirrored sunglasses with the lenses flipped around. And as they look at the world, all they can see is a reflection of their own needs and desires. It's just, it's all about them. It's egocentric. He put this quote in there too. I just laughed out loud. Loving Jesus is not efficient. <laughs> you ever had your day planned and something comes up and somebody's there and you're thinking, I got a lot of things to do today. <laughs> I've been, I've been on uh, multiple hospital calls, and, you know, I'm in an elevator, and, and somebody starts talking to me, and I think, I don't know if I have time. And then I hear the words, Jesus, like, what are you even doing here? Of course you have time. That's what you're here for. I've told the story before. I'm just going to tell it again real quick. When my dad had emergency surgery and ended up with full-blown Alzheimer's, we were, my mom and I were at the hospital and uh, he hadn't spoken, hadn't come out of the uh, anesthesia. It was horrible. And uh, we, were, we had been there all day. And so we were leaving to go grab something to eat. And we get in the elevator. And this guy walks in the elevator, rough-looking dude, tats everywhere. He had a couple of the teardrops the whole bit. And, um, you know, I saw him. I, I, was just, I was just kind of in my own thoughts at the moment. And my mom says, are you here for somebody? Are you here for, is, is one of your loved ones in the hospital here? And I remember just sitting there looking at her and thinking, she loved like Jesus. She cared about this guy, and he, he broke down, and he starts talking about his friend who's going to have an amputation. And she goes, my son has an amputation. Maybe he can help him. Like, it's beautiful. I, was, I wasn't even thinking like that. You want to love like Jesus? Starts with, with prayer. Starts with noticing, and it starts with prayer. How do you notice? You don't... You need to pray for a heart change, for your heart to change. You've got to pray for others. Pray that God will interrupt your day, that you'll see past the surface on people's lives, that you'll be curious and notice and see their facial expressions, and you'll listen to what they're not saying, and that you'll be patient and wait and be willing to set aside your agenda. Pray that you would ask God, God, would you send someone in my, in my way today and tell me what they need? 
it's time or just your ear or, or a hug or care or money or that you would attune your heart to the heart of God for people. You know what it is? Everybody matters to God. We are a church where everybody matters to God and people should know it. You know what else it starts with? I know this sounds weird, but I'm going to go there anyway. It starts with a smile. All these studies I was reading for this, and I, it cracked me up. Did, did you know that smile, smiling can make your food taste better? <laughs> it's goofy, isn't it? Your face sometimes controls your attitude and your heart. They've done these studies that, that people are more willing to talk to a stranger if they smile. And I know some of you are like, well, of course that's true. Well, did you know that even a fleeting smile, they've measured this down four Thousands of a second of a facial gesture can disarm tension in strangers. <laughs> it's weird, I know, stupid. Did you know that reading uh, boring material becomes more interesting if you read it with a smile? That a bland picture becomes more interesting when you smile. And I know this sounds corny. What they've done is actually taken test subjects in and they say, look at this, and then they don't smile. Then they say, okay, now we want you to look at it smiling. And then they had to separate the test subjects because once they see each other smiling, they all start smiling and then end up laughing. What is that? It's something God put in us that changes the way we treat people. It's, it's weird. <laughs> people tend to, to mirror a smile. Your facial expression actually can control your attitude. I'm going to end this part of today with this one last thought, the include part. If you're going to love like Jesus, it means you're going to include people. I know we've all been excluded at times, and it, it hurts. It's weird. You've walked up into a conversation, maybe something that didn't even matter to you, but you realize they're talking about something that you weren't included in. You didn't know. You weren't invited, and you're like, oh, okay, I'm feeling out of this. It hurts. Okay, one last goofy experiment thing. They did this experiment with a computer-generated game where you throw a ball back and forth to two gen computer-generated subjects in the game. And as you do it, what they did is they programmed the two computer subjects to exclude you. So you're sitting there playing a game, and they stop throwing it to you. It's a game. It is a computer. And what they've done is hooked people up and tested it, and people feel physical pain. The same part of your brain that registers disappointment from being excluded is the same that registers physical pain. <laughs> Why is that? Because God made us for relationship, not toxic ones, good, healthy, legitimate, good relationships. We need it. We all need it. <laughs> John Ortberg said it like this. Attention is so valuable. We just don't give it. We pay attention. It's like money, money. You know what made Jesus different? He noticed people. He included the excluded. He didn't come to the royalty. He didn't come to the ruling class. He didn't come to the religious class. He didn't come to the church and say, hey, you guys are the religious leaders of Israel. Let me, let me help you help them and we'll change the world. No, he went to the people themselves, to the ones who needed him most, and he included them. He included them. Why? Because everybody matters to God. I want you to shut your eyes for a moment, and I want you to think like this. If you're going to love like Jesus, my challenge to you is this. If you're going to love like Jesus, I want to challenge you to pray for some people this week. 
There may be people in your life who are, who are difficult for you and people that are, you're struggling with and people that you're not sure even how to love. Guess what? When you pray for them, God will change your heart for them. Will he change them too? Yes, but, but that's kind of him working on them. We're talking about you. The truth is, as you pray for them, I want to encourage you to not just pray that they change. Pray instead that God would bless them, that he give them good things, that he would, he would work on their heart and answer the deep desires of their heart, that he would meet their needs physical and relational and emotional and financial. Pray for them. Pray. What I want you to do is I want you to pray that you would help to love like Jesus loved, that you would be one that God would use to reach out to the hurting, that you would see things that other people don't see and where other people might walk right by, that you would be drawn to that person. I'm going to challenge you to go beyond that. I'm going to challenge you not just to pray that way, but I'm going to challenge you to include people. It can be difficult sometimes because you're busy and you've got a group and you're doing things, but to include them, to actually make them feel part of what's happening. I'm going to make it real personal today. We have a fundraiser lunch that youth are doing. I hope, I hope you can all go, and, and I, want you to, I want you to include each other there. I want you to talk to each other and invite people and sit with people maybe you don't even know and get to know some people in this church who maybe you sit on different sides of the building and just share your life together. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed for one more minute, I just want to ask a really important question. I don't know everybody in the room today, in a room this size, you know, it's likely that there's somebody here and maybe as we were talking and maybe as I was telling those stories, you, you maybe felt that you don't know this Jesus that I've been talking about and this Jesus who came and he saw past people's outside and maybe you've got an outside and maybe you feel like you've done things that were wrong that God could never forgive or he would never love you past those things. So I'm here to tell you today that he loves beyond what we could ever imagine. We as humans, we're the ones who don't see change and can't see people's lives being different, but God changes people from the inside out. And maybe you're here today and you're thinking, I'm that person and I need to be changed. And if that is you, I'm going to ask you to just to raise your hand and we're going to pray for you to God, for God to start that change in you. Is there anybody here today like that? You want to be changed. I see the hand, I do. Anybody else? Do you feel like God noticed you today and that you heard this today and you say, that's me. And if it's true that he would notice me and see beyond those things that I want to be truly different. If that's you, just raise your hand and we'll pray with you like we're going to pray with this other person today. Anybody else? I see the hand too, I, I saw that. And that one, I see that. Anybody else at all? Let's do this. Let's, uh, if you would pray with me, everybody in the room, I'm going to lead us in prayer. And as I pray this prayer, it's simply going to acknowledge the fact that we've all sinned and that Jesus came to be the change of all of that. He came to be the sacrifice for our sin. And when he comes in our heart and life, he changes everything. So would you repeat after me? Father God, I'm sorry for the things I've done that are wrong. Still find it hard to believe that you love me and you care about me. But if that's true, I want you to come in and make me new. 
I want that forgiveness to change everything. I want to live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just close in prayer for everybody, and then Pastor Jeremy is going to close our service. And if you would like prayer, we have some people ready to pray with you at the end of service right over here on your right. And if you're one of those four people who raised your hands, I would love to talk to you. I'll be right outside the doors. Or if you wanted to pray, get some more prayer with one of these people, they would pray with you as well. But let me just close in prayer for all of us. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would help us to be noticers today, starting today. As we leave this place, we would love more and more like you, that you'd help us to set aside our agendas and take on your agenda, that you would help us to see in people what you see, that you'd help us to love them in spite of all of those other things. I pray you help us as we include. Just pray you help us to do that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Pastor Jeremy.